Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. The Lord bless you and thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. We bless you in Jesus' name. Dear Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for these brethren that are joining us today. We just ask you to, um, to touch their lives. We ask you to grant them grace to um, draw closer and closer to you day by day. We ask that you um, live in them the Christian life that you be to them everything that they need, Lord. And we know, Lord, that you um, you offer all these things, but we uh, we have to be we have to receive the grace from you to believe it, Lord. And we just thank you that by grace have we been saved through faith, and it's not of ourselves, a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus, for being so merciful to us to draw us and. And bring us into the kingdom. Thank you so much. Well, I'd like to start in Hebrews chapter 2 here. You know, we have been given authority. We better be careful what we do with it, right? Authority is the right to use power. And um, as you know, Adam was given that authority. And Adam lost it because he fell into sin. His servants you are whom you obey. But the Bible teaches that the Lord Jesus is the last Adam and that he came to restore that authority. And we can tell by those awesome promises that he's given unto us, you know. In fact, to most people, they're too good to be true. They have to be talking about somebody else. I don't experience this, so it has to be those apostles back there or something, you know. No, he's talking to you and me, you know. And the reason I know that is I believed him. And I started entering into this. And a lot of people have. So don't let anybody tell you, look. Have you ever heard the old saying that uh, the guy with an experience is never at the mercy of a guy with an argument? Folks, there are multitudes of Christians who are experiencing the authority and the power of God. And they're rejoicing, you know, and there's still people out there denying it, you know. But what can you do? It is to, to him that believeth, right? Well, Hebrews 2 and 5 says, Not unto angels did he subject the world to come. Well, the, actually, the words the world to come in the Greek are the inhabited earth. It has nothing to do with the world to come. That's men's theology. Okay. Not unto angels did he subject the inhabited earth whereof we speak. Wow. In other words, God gave Adam authority. Go back and read Psalm 8. It's very plain. He gave Adam authority over all the works of his hands, over all the creation, you see. And now, Jesus is not called the last Adam for no reason. He is the father of the born-again creation. He came to give us authority. And uh, what I want to go on to show you is why we have to be so careful about this authority, okay? But one hath somewhere testified... What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man 
that thou visitest him. Now, don't don't be deceived here, folks, about the word son of man. Son of man is not only spoken about Jesus in the Bible. It's spoken by other people. And uh, we are all sons of man, right? And so uh, Jesus merely pointed out that he, he, too, was a son of man. And, uh, of course, he was the son of God dwelling in the son of man, and, and we are, too. The Bible says he has he had to become uh, like unto us in all things, you know. And um, it behooved him, verse 17, a little further down, Wherefore behooved him in all things to be made like unto his brethren, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, and to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So Jesus um, came as the Son of God in the Son of Man. And as you know, uh, when you accept the Word of God into your heart, that Word of God is Jesus Christ. And uh, He is manifesting more in you. The more of the Word you accept and believe, the more He's manifesting in you. That's a secret to most. But um, So what is man that thou art mindful of him? Why would God pay any attention to us? Why would God pay any attention to the first Adam? You know, the little ants that we are here, you know. Well, we're important to God. And uh, we're his sons. And we represent him here on this earth. So much so that he has uh, delegated his authority unto us. Verse 7. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, and thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Not only man, but the son of man. That means everybody, you know. Uh, set him over the works of thy hands. Now, we know this authority is only for those who are sons of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, because Adam received authority over all the works of God's hands. Psalm 8, this, this is quoting Psalm 8, so it was talking about the first Adam and the last Adam, but also his seed would have inherited all of his authority had not he fell into sin. And since our Lord Jesus didn't fall into sin, he was able to pass this authority down to his people who believe, who believe. And so it's very important that you believe that you have this authority. It's also very important that you renew your mind with the Word of God so that you know how to use this properly. And, of course, the Word of God itself is what gives you faith to exercise this authority. And we are ambassadors of Christ, so we're here to exercise this authority not for us, but for Him according to His purposes. So that's very important, too. Many people want to take faith in the, in the power and the Word of God to indulge their flesh. That's what they're interested in. And God's not interested in that. We're here to lose our life in this world. God will provide your every need according to His riches and glory. But it's not to consume it upon our lusts. God wants the lust to die. At any rate, He said, Thou didst put all things in subjection under His feet. Uh, for in that he subjected all things unto him, he left nothing that is not subject unto him. But now we see not yet all things subject unto him. That's true. We don't yet see that. But we are coming to the time when God's people are going to stand up as sons of God and manifest his power. And um, the word of God will be living in their heart. And guess who that is? Jesus Christ will be um, doing the works through them. 
You see, as you put the Word of God in you, you come into, you, into agreement with the Word of God, it's Christ in you that does the works. Isn't that neat? It's Christ in you that lives the Christian life, so on and so forth. Well, we know that this is true from many other things that Jesus said to us in the Scriptures, like, for instance, Matthew 18. In 18 it says, uh, Verily I say unto you, What things soever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and what things soever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Wow, that's real authority. Of course, you probably won't have faith to do something really strange. <laughs> you know, most people don't. And so, you know, it's the faith that causes you to be able to exercise the authority. So, and, and quite often, it, unless you believe that it is something that is God's will, you won't have any faith for it. So, you see, it's really not dangerous for God to make statements like this. It appears that way, but it's really not. Because most people are not going to exercise faith in it, and the people that do... They do it because the Word lives in them. And if the Word lives in them, then it's Jesus doing it. And if it's Jesus doing it, He's doing it according to the will of God. How about that? Well, that's the way it works. You see? So, uh, whatsoever things you shall bind or forbid on earth shall be forbidden in heaven, and whatsoever things you shall permit or loose on earth shall be loosed or permitted. So, God's given us this authority. And I know that there are people that say, no, David, he was talking to the apostles, and this was just for them, and so on and so forth. But that don't make any sense. I mean, I'll tell you why. Like, for instance, uh, Mark chapter 16 is a good example. Let's go there. I'll tell you what. Let's go to Mark chapter 11 first, and then we'll go to Mark 16. Mark chapter 11 and verse uh, 23. And he says, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Notice that. Whosoever. You know he wasn't just talking to his apostles here or his disciples. He is, of course, talking to disciples because disciples are the only ones that are going to take him seriously and the only ones that are going to uh, recognize his authority and have this gift of faith, right? So when he says whosoever, he's talking about not just them, but anybody from them to us that believes, right? Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou taken up and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that what he saith cometh to pass, he shall have it. Whosoever. Now, you think that was just a silly statement that nobody's ever really going to take him up on that? Or has there been a lot of people that have commanded their own personal mountains out of the way, and their own personal giants out of the way, and... and uh, exercise their authority in this world over Satan and over the flesh and and um, over the circumstances around them, over the curse. Multitudes of people have used this verse to do that. I have. And God's faithful. He stands behind his word, not because we deserve it, but because of his mercy and grace and because he said, be it unto you according to your faith, right? And whosoever here, that includes you and me, and uh, especially if you are a believer, and so this authority has been put in our hands as sons of the last Adam. And, uh, you know, it's obviously not talking about just the disciples, as some say. Um, I'll go to Mark uh, 16 here. Let's read uh, verse 14. It says, And afterwards he was manifested unto the eleven themselves. So now he's talking to 
his disciples who he made apostles. And he says to them, verse 15, he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. And he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So now he's talking about those that believe them. He's not talking about them. He's talking about those that believe them. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that disbelieveth shall be condemned. And these signs shall accompany them that believe. Once again, he is talking about the disciples of the disciples. And, you know, folks, disciples are people who are learners and followers, mathetes, a learner and a follower of the Lord. We're disciples of the Lord. He is our instructor. He's our master. He is our example. And he's our power. And he's the one that does the works through us. Okay? And uh, now we see that these signs will accompany just those that believe. Not great apostles or anything like just anybody that believes, right? And in my name they will cast out demons. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall in no wise hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. That's authority. He's giving authority to the people that believe. The people that believe those first Apostles, the ones who wrote these pages to us, you know, the uh, forefathers of Christianity. He is um, passing it on to us. So we have this authority to go and do good in the name of the Lord. Well, I want to ask you this. Do you suppose that we have authority to also do bad? Meaning, of course, is it permitted? Is Satan taking advantage of People who are exercising faith that is not according to the word. Yes, he is. And Satan does receive his authority from us. You know, the Lord Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. And um, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 23 basically says the same thing. That all principalities and powers have been put under his authority, even under the feet of his body, it says there. And we are his body, but they have all been put under the feet of his body. So we have this authority, but it can be negative and it can be positive. Uh, An example of that, I think if you go to um, Numbers chapter 14, you'll see that um, when the Lord brought his people out of Egypt, baptized them in the Red Sea, and and, uh, brought them into the wilderness... They continued to speak negatively. They continued to exercise their faith in a negative way. You know, uh, faith is just what you believe. You can believe things that God has spoken to you. You can believe things that you see in the world. But Jesus said, be it unto you according to your faith. And faith is both negative and positive. Even fear is faith. It's just faith in reverse. It's faith in the curse. It's faith in the devil. It's faith in adverse circumstances. But it's still faith. What you believe, you believe. And um, the absolute proof in the world is what people believe happens to them. You know that uh, doctors have said various percentages of from 70% on up much higher that um, sickness is psychosomatic. And some people think that means, well, you just think you're sick. No, it really doesn't. It actually means uh, psycho, soul, soma, body, soul over body. 
and your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Meaning that your mind and your will and your emotions are making your body sick. Can I say that it, they're wrong when they say 70, 80, 90% is psychosomatic? It's 100%. Because what makes people sick is just that. It's what they think, it's what they believe makes them sick. And I'm going to prove that to you. In fact, what you believe can kill you. Because you, as we saw in Matthew 18 and 18, you are the one who binds and looses. You are the one who creates your own future and uh, actually gives authority unto the devil or gives authority unto God. You know, Jesus needed authority, but he went to his own hometown. He could not do many mighty works because of their unbelief. So they had authority to say no to God, and they did because of what they believed. They did not believe in Jesus. They did not believe his gospel. They believed in their sickness. They believed in the curse. They spoke the curse. We can believe in the blessings of God and speak the blessings of God, or we can believe in the curse and speak the curse. And we, we will have what we believe. It is the word of God. In fact, they complained to the Lord here that, that he had just brought them out there in this wilderness to, to die. And God had heard that too many times. Because he said in verse 28 of Numbers 14, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord, Surely as you have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from twenty years old and upward, that have murmured against me, so on and so forth. So, he said, basically, you said it, now you got it. Does God still do that? Yes, he does. And the Bible declares that he does. And, of course, one of the fruits of a believer is... Um, that um, they believe in their heart and they confess with their mouth. That's what the Bible says. There are many people that profess, profess to be believers and not confess their benefits in Christ. And, um, and so God says that um, basically what they say is what they're going to get. And again, here in, in um, chapter 21 of, this, of, chap- of Numbers, 21 um, and verse 5, And the people spake against God. What is against God? You know, when God has spoken all these awesome promises to us, and we think we know better, and we continue to agree with the curse, like, for instance, the ten spies did, uh, not the two, Joshua and Caleb, who agreed with God and spoke what God spoke, um, and, and the threat God made was not against them, it was against the unbelievers who were believing those spies. So when it's speaking against God is is much more subtle than some people would think. You know, when God says you're healed and you say you're not, you're speaking against God. Can you stay sick because you do that? Certainly. When God says he's taken away your sins and you confess what you see and feel in the world, are you not speaking against God? Yes, you are. And uh, let me say, if you go on down here, I'll read it a little, little further down. He says, And the people spake against God and against Moses, 
Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? They're still at it, aren't they? For there is no bread, and there is no water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. In other words, once again, what they spoke is what they got. Fiery serpents, I believe, represents the curse, you know. Uh, you know, the cure here was that God commanded Moses to put a one of those fiery serpents on a pole, and um, and as the people got their eyes on the serpent on the pole, they were healed. And, of course, we know the cure is Jesus Christ. He, he was the one who became sin, as we saw, and, um, and uh, was crucified on a pole. And so we have a cure. We have a cure for the curse. But we have to confess God to receive that cure. There are multitudes of people who profess Christianity, and they don't confess the benefits of the kingdom so that the curse that was put upon Jesus doesn't come upon them. See, none of these none of these promises in this book are automatic. They come through faith. You know? They have to be mixed with faith, as Hebrews 3 says. Right? And uh, he goes on to say, And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he will take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Well, you know, when people pray, God is merciful, especially if they believe their prayers. God is merciful and he takes it off. But do you have to continue to live under the curse? That's the whole point. Is it necessary for you to live under the curse when you can agree with God and not have the fiery serpents biting you? You know, this is just the curse manifested in so many ways. You know, the serpent, obviously, is also the devil. The devil is, is, um, is a vessel of dishonor that administers the curse to God's people, uh, when, especially when they do not believe the benefits of God. It's be it unto you according to your faith. As you have believed, so shall it be unto you. So, you can speak things that come to pass. They spoke death, they received death. If you speak life, you receive life. It depends on what your faith is. If your faith is in agreement with God's benefits, then you receive those benefits. If you agree with what's in the world, then you, of course, don't receive God's benefits. You have loosed the devil. You have loosed his emissaries to continue to administer the curse upon you, you see. And uh, many people are learning this and experiencing what I'm saying. This is nothing new. It's the same gospel it's been from the beginning. And we have to be have a renewed mind so that we understand what we should believe and what we should speak. Faith is both uh, positive and negative. And the Bible says uh, death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's in Proverbs uh, 18.20. 18 and 20 says, A man's belly shall be filled with the fruit of his mouth. Would you like your needs to be met, you know, because of what you say? You know, with the increase of his lips shall he be satisfied. Well, we would like our lips to come into agreement with the Word of God and 
learn more and more to walk in his benefits by confessing him before men. You know, the Bible says that Jesus is the high priest of our confession, and he offers that confession before the Father. And as we confess him before men, he confesses us before the Father. And the word confess, of course, means to speak the same as, to um, homo logeo, speak the same as. And and so there should be an increase in our lips. We should uh, more and more be learning to agree with his benefits so that we don't continue to live under the curses of of this world and give the devil authority over us. You see, the devil is is motivating many people to turn to God. He's very good at that. He doesn't understand that a uh, kingdom divided against itself won't stand, and that the, the thing that he does is the thing that we just happen to need, is that is chastening so that we will repent and turn to God and agree with his word and speak those things that are beneficial. If we believe in our heart the curse and confess with our mouth the curse, that's what we'll have. If we believe in our heart the gospel, the good news, like Joshua and Caleb pronounced, then that's what we'll have. And he says that basically in the next verse. He said, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Wow. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I I remember... Where I came from over in Louisiana, there was a church there in which there was a minister who was preaching about death, how it was not to be feared, and and so on and so forth. And this actually happened. And um, I know the church and everything, you know, the circumstances and everything. And um, the man actually was going to show people how simple it was to die. And he actually pulled up a chair, and he sat down in that chair, and he said, it's just as simple as going to sleep, you know. And he nodded his head like that. And he stayed that way, and he stayed that way, and the pastor got a little nervous, and after a minute or two, the pastor went up there and touched him on the shoulder and got a little closer and shook him, and he was gone. He talked himself right off of this earth. (laughs) He just passed right on. Now, hey, it's never bad to go to heaven, folks, but I want to tell you something. There are some people that they actually talk themselves into the grave. You know, I'm not criticizing this man at all. I'm just making a, a point here, you know. you know. Many people die before their time because their faith is to die. Their faith is to be cursed. Their faith is to have what they see around them. You know, their faith is not in what the Lord Jesus has already given to them freely. And and so he says here very plainly, and it's the absolute truth, death and life are in the power of the tongue. They're in the power of the tongue. Oh, David, you're one of those name it and claim it people, you know. I'm just telling you exactly what the Bible says. We're just reading it from God's Word here. See, I'm not adding anything to it or taking anything away from it, you see. And no, I'm not really a what you might call a prosperity preacher. Uh, I believe that we need to agree with God's benefits to have them no matter what they are. And I believe that God will supply your every need to do His will. Whatever you need to do His will, the Lord will do that if you will learn to agree with Him. Well, I want to tell you something. The tongue doesn't talk on its own. The tongue gets its direction from your thoughts and from your the words that are in your mind, you see. And so we need to watch our tongue so that we can correct our mind. That's one reason the Lord is, is telling us to be so careful about what we say, because when you're 
being careful about what you say, what you're really correcting is your thoughts. You see, it's not just the tongue; it's the the thoughts. And um, uh, Matthew chapter 12, I think, is probably a good example of this. Watch, see what Jesus had to say here, verse um, 34. You offspring of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? Wow. You know, um, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You see, if we want to speak good things, we need to put good things into our heart. We need to reject other things that are there. You Have you ever, has your mouth ever uh, slipped up on you in spoken words that you wish you hadn't let out, you know? And uh, it's kind of an automatic thing in, with some people. You know, we need to slow down and, and um, give the Lord time to correct our thinking in some cases. But he says here, how can you being evil speak good things? Good people speak good things. Bad people speak bad things. And in some ways, we are both. Because we are both son of man and son of God. But we also have authority over that part of us which is still man. We have authority over that. The Son of God in us has authority over that man. Uh, and as the outer man decays, the inner man is being renewed day by day. We know that that new man, that spiritual man, is taking over as we walk by faith and we believe more and more of the Word of God, more and more of Jesus Himself is being manifested in us, and He's taking more and more ground from the enemy, Right? And so we grow up in the Lord. So he says here that that those who are evil can't speak good things. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The good man out of his good treasure bringeth forth good things. And the evil man out of his evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. See, some people who get this revelation about the tongue spend all their time talking about the tongue, but really, you have to start with the heart. I mean, uh, uh, we have to repent. We have to change our mind. We have to believe what the Bible says. You know, change your mind is what the word repent means. Change your mind is renew your mind with what this book says and agree with what this book says and do it enough until it's overcome your natural thinking. Your natural thinking is killing you and it's killing all of those whose tongue is connected to their the natural man, right? And he says in verse 36 here, And I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Idle word. Idle. The word there means unfruitful word. Uh, obviously, God wants his words to bear fruit in us. But there are many words that are unfruitful. They don't bear the fruit of Christ in us, you see. And so what he's saying is every idle word will bring judgment upon you. And, you know, when he says in the day of judgment, he's not necessarily talking about the day down the road when there's a corporate judgment, but in the day of judgment that you come into. Because your idle words will bring you into judgment. Unfruitful words, vain words will bring you into judgment. Many people have spoken the curse upon themselves, uh, like the Israelites did. You know, they confessed over and over that they were going to die in the wilderness, and, and it happened. 
Verse 37, For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Now i give you one guess what words justify and what words condemn. Obviously the words that are in agreement with God, confessing Jesus before God, right? Confessing Jesus before men, confessing his word, saying what he said, homo lugeo, agreeing with what he has taught us here in this word and what he put in the disciples to teach us in this word, see? And if we do that, we're justified. We are accounted righteous. That's what the word means. God accounts us righteous when we agree with what he says. And if we don't, we fall under judgment, as it says here. He said, by thy words thou shalt be condemned. If you disagree with God's word, it's like calling him a liar. God told those Israelites that he was going to bring them to the promised land. And they said basically, nope, God, you're a liar. You brought us here to die in this wilderness. They said it with their mouth. And he finally said, well, as you have spoken in my ear, so shall it be unto you. Is there a lot of people that don't make it through this wilderness we call a world today? Absolutely, they don't make it through. My people are destroyed for lack of understanding. They agree with the curse, and they get the curse. It is what they believe. It is their faith. And there are people that feel very self-righteous in believing the curse. They believe that they're just too humble to believe, uh, be presuming upon God's goodness uh, to believe that what he says is true of them, you know. Well, that's not humility, folks. That's foolishness. And um, those people will have exactly what they believe, you know. But we want to be justified before God. We want to be accounted uh, uh, righteous uh, before Him. You know, as a man believeth in his heart, so is he. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You see, there is a spring springing up out of every individual. And some of those waters are good. You know, the Bible speaks of waters as the Word, doesn't it? You know, the washing of the water with the Word. But also, the dragon sent forth a, a stream of water to take away the woman. So, the dragon, representing Antichrist, also has words that he wants to deceive God's people and the people of the world with, right? So, out of us, uh, John chapter 7 tells us about this spring of living water. John 7 and 37 says, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Well, we're drinking waters, right? Waters of what? Words, right? But they're also what he said in John 6 and 63, which is, It's the Spirit that giveth life, the flesh profits nothing, the words that I have spoken unto you are spirit and life. So the Lord has given supernatural words to us. They are these promises, these benefits that he's given us in the scriptures. He's given supernatural words to us, and they are spirit and they are life. And so he tells us to drink of these words of spirit and life. That's his water that he gives unto us, right? And back in 7 and 38, he says, And so he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, because that's the words of life, 
This is someone who has gotten it down into their heart, into their thinking, into their thoughts. These words of life, which is, of course, where the spring comes from, right? He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, from within him shall flow rivers of living water. Aha. Uh-huh. And he goes on to say, But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believed on him were to receive. So, you know, the Spirit of God brings to our remembrance all things that he has said unto us. Right? And many of you out there, you know what I'm talking about. You've received that anointing, whereby just gushing up out of your innermost being comes forth these words of life, the word of God. It comes gushing out of you to, to meet the situations around you, to, um, to share the gospel with the, the, uh, the lost and those who are speaking against their own life, you know, and uh, to um, exercise authority. And so out of you is flowing this river of living water. Wow. Well, it's God's plan. He wants us to put that word down inside of us. He wants us to not deny every other word. He wants us to be justified, meaning, of course, accounted righteous because of these words that come up out of us. These words will deliver us from the curse. They'll deliver us from destruction. And uh, he talks about them, by the way, over in uh, Revelation chapter 22. I believe that this is what this is speaking about. Bear with me a minute here. Revelation 22 and verse 1. Remember he said, Out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Well, when, when God is seated upon the throne of your heart, which is where all of your thoughts come from, which is, of course, where all of your words come from, right? When he's ruling upon the throne of your heart, then you have this river of living water coming forth. And he tells us in Revelation 22 and 1, "He And he showeth me a river of the water of life, bright as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God. Now, we just... In the previous chapter, he speaks about the throne of God and the temple of God. Who's the temple of God? Well, we are the temple of God. God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands anymore. We are the temple of God. So where's his throne? He's on our heart, right? And he showed me a river of the water of life, bright as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street thereof, And on this side of the river and on that side was the tree of life, bearing twelve manner of fruits, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So the tree of life, this river of water is coming up across the tree of life and coming forth to heal the nations. Isn't that what Jesus did? And uh, isn't that what he's called us to do? And uh, let that river of living water, the words of Almighty God, come forth out of us and bring life to everything around us. You know. And by the way, the tree of life here, according to Proverbs 15, is the tongue. And uh, let's look at that, Proverbs 15 and verse 4. But I'll start back a little bit. In uh, verse 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous word stirreth up anger. 
And the tongue of the wise uttereth knowledge aright. The tongue of the wise. We know that there is that negative knowledge that the world in, you know, passes on to everyone. This worldly wisdom. And of course, if you don't have it and you don't agree with it, you're on the outside looking in with them. You know, you're crazy, right? How many of you have ever confessed God's blessings before you saw them and the people around you looked at you like you're crazy? But of course, God doesn't let you just make a fool out of yourself. When you step out by faith in Him, He manifests the goodness, right? The tongue of the wise uttereth knowledge right, but the mouth of fools poureth out folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch upon the evil and the good. He, it doesn't come out of your mouth, folks, and it's not in your actions, but what? He doesn't see it. I mean, not one hair of your head falls to the ground, or one sparrow uh, falls to the ground without him knowing it, right? He has them numbered. So nothing gets by him. And when we, when we proclaim that we are now disciples of Jesus Christ, we're walking the crucified life, we're giving up who we were and taking on who he is, then um, he expects us to do that. We trust in Him to do it in us. It is by grace. We can put our faith fully in Him. We'll get to that part later. But he says, a gentle tongue, or actually it says the healing of the tongue in Hebrew. The healing of the tongue, verse 4, is a tree of life. But perverseness therein is a breaking of the Spirit. Devastation, destruction, comes from a perverse tongue this against God, speaking against God. I would say the overwhelming majority of what we call Christianity speaks against God every day, thinks nothing of it. And how are they speaking against God? They are speaking against His benefits, which we must receive by faith. We, we as God d- does, we call the things that be not as though they were. We agree with God's Word even though we don't see it. And, of course, that's God's method of bringing it into this physical creation. Um, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, but when we confess it, it becomes ours in these physical places around us, you see. And this river of living water should be coming over our tongue to bring healing to the nations, just like it did with Jesus, you know. It's it's sad to say that um, sometimes it's the old man talking, and um, the river's a polluted river, you know. And, uh, of course, we don't want what that's going to get us. That's what, what that's going to gain us. We want the benefits of the kingdom, and there's only one way to get it. And that is believing in your heart where that, where that spring comes from and confessing with your mouth as that river of living water passes over your tongue to the world, to your situation, to your body, to your children, you know, whatever. You know, this is how it comes to pass. And uh, we know in uh, James chapter 3 that um, just the opposite can come to pass. James chapter 3, I'll just read verse um, 10 and 11. It says, Out of the same mouth cometh forth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. Doth a fountain send forth from the same opening sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brethren, yield olives or a vine figs? Neither can salt water yield 
sweet. So, the problem is with our mouth is many times there's coming forth a mixture of blessing and cursing. But with the increase of the lips, you see, we should be growing in the knowledge of God in our heart and speaking and agreeing with those things and denying everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and casting it down, as Second Corinthians 10 tells us to do, so that we grow in this confessing of God's word and grow in what does he call righteousness because he imputes righteousness to us when we agree with his word. So we should be growing in this and in the sweet water, right? This river of living water coming up out of us. Not blessing and cursing, you know, but the sweet water. And, uh, you know, uh, he talks about the tongue. Let me go back a little bit. Uh, verse 5. So the tongue also is a little member and boasteth of great things. Behold, how much wood is kindled by how small a fire. You know, people think that the things that they say are insignificant and they don't count. But not so before God, and I might say not so before the devil, because he gets his authority from you. Remember that he doesn't have authority. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. And then, according to Ephesians 1 and 23 and 24, he put it under his feet. And he gave himself to be the head of the body, the church, but he put them under his feet, you see. So who has the authority now? Every principality and power has been put under the feet of Jesus. So we have the authority, and he has to get us to give him authority. And, of course, he works constantly to sow the seed of the world into our hearts. You know, that's what the harlot is, folks, is a person who receives the seed of the world rather than the seed of the kingdom, you know. And... uh how much wood is kindled by how small a fire. And the tongue is a fire. Uh, the world of iniquity among our members is the tongue, which defileth the whole body. Wow, isn't that interesting? The tongue is what defiles the body. It is your faith in what you're told, either by the people of the world, by the devil, you know, it's what you believe that defiles your body. And what comes out of your mouth that defiles your body. And setteth on fire the wheel of nature, and is set on fire by hell. You know, the wheel of nature or cycle of life is sowing and reaping. You know, you speak things that are a curse, and a curse comes upon you. You speak things that are a blessing, and a blessing comes upon you. And so there is a cycle. There's a cycle upward, there's a cycle downward. And, of course, we need to uh, reap what we have sown of the good things of God, right? And um, But it says it's set on fire by hell. And every kind of beast and of birds and of creeping things and things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed by mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. You think that's talking about Christians? I guarantee it's just talking about Christians just like everybody else. When they disagree with the Word of God, it's deadly poison. And it's set on fire of hell. And no man can tame the tongue, but the Lord can. Let's see. And that's the good part we want to get to. Is, uh, 
that the Lord himself will tame the tongue and has tamed the tongue. In Matthew 15, in verse 11, Jesus um, made some pertinent statements here. Okay. He says, Not that which entereth into the mouth defileth the man, but that which proceedeth out of the mouth, this defileth the man. What you say is what defiles you. Nothing that you eat can do that. Can you imagine that? The curse comes because you agree with it and because you believe in it. You know, you're accounted righteous when you believe God's word. You believe the benefits of the kingdom. You are accounted righteous. You are not under the curse. Jesus himself became accursed for you. So, therefore, it is what you believe and what you say that brings you as a Christian back under the curse, or keeps you under the curse, I should say. And also, in verse 18, But the things which proceed out of the mouth come forth out of the heart. There it is again, that spring that springs out of people. Comes forth out of the heart, they defile the man. For out of the heart come forth evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness. That could mean a lot of things there, false witness, right? Railings. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not the men. Did you know that? It's washing your hands, germs around you. None of that stuff defiles you because... You have to give the devil authority, and you have to give the curse authority. They have no authority, according to the Scriptures. Jesus already became, overcame the world. He already bore the curse. Galatians 3 and 13. You, uh, everything that you consider detrimental to your life in this world, physically speaking, mentally speaking, or emotionally speaking, is all considered the curse. And Jesus bore that upon himself so that we could be free. But we need to confess him before men. We need to agree with his word. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? You see, he was our example. He gave, if we're a disciple, we are a learner and a follower of his. Right? We study him in order to see what it is that we're supposed to do and say and act and so on and so forth. And so... People are defiled by what comes out of their heart, out of their thoughts, in words, over their tongue. That's what people are defiled by, or made unclean by, or cursed by, or whatever, however you want to say it, you know. Now, um, God's got a cure. And, uh, you know, we saw about the, the serpent on the pole that... Uh, it represented Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. He is the cure. Exodus 15 is a, another really good example of the cure. You remember the children of God were coming out of Egypt and going through their wilderness. And they, in verse 22, says, Moses led Israel onward from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Well, remember what water is now, because God loves to hide parables in his word. And there's one right here that is startling. Uh, So they found no water. 
And when they came to Mara, which means bitter, remember we talked about the bitter waters and the sweet waters, right? And what are they talking about? Words coming up out of your thoughts, out of your heart, over your tongue to the world around you, right? So here it is. And when they came to bitterness, they could not drink of the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. And the people murmured against Moses. Here's the Mara here. I mean, you know, the bitterness. Again, they murmured. They spoke against God, right? They murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. You know, here we are, folks. We have this miserable problem. We say things because of our old nature. They're out before we can bring them back, and we have said them. And we need a sacrifice, don't we? And we need some way to conquer this tongue because man cannot conquer this tongue. No man can conquer it. And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he cast it into the waters, and the waters were made sweet. So there's your beet, sweet and your bitter waters here. And the tree, of course, represents the cross. See, what Jesus did was to make reconciliation. He gave us deliverance from this tongue, from this curse, from the old life. We reckon the old man to be dead and the new man to be alive on account of what Jesus did at the cross. He gave us death, burial, and resurrection. And, uh, you know, what can we do? Uh, I'm going to share with you. I probably won't get to it today, but I'll share with you what we can do to turn this tongue around. Of course, we've already looked at one thing, and that is, first of all, repent. Change your mind. Say, I agree with the word. I'm going to speak what this Bible says about me, about my circumstances, and about the circumstances of my family, those that I have authority over, so on and so forth. So, here it is. The cross. And he cast it into the waters, and the waters were made sweet. And he made for them a statute and an ordinance there, and he proved them. And he went on to give them uh, healing, as a matter of fact. And the Bible says we present our bodies as living sacrifices. You see, we take part in that cross, too. And I'd like to probably take up there the next time we come together. But uh, God be with you and bless you and uh, begin to speak God's promises to those around you. God bless you and good night. Hello, friends. Thank you so much for joining the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. We've been having a good study on the power of the tongue. I'd like to continue that with the Lord's grace and help. So let's just ask Him for that. Precious Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come to You today for grace, uh, for help in a time of need, Lord. We ask, Lord, that You um, share with our brethren today, Lord, something that will be beneficial to them, something that will cause them to be able to stand, something that will cause them to be able to conquer their enemies, something that will cause them to be overcomers in the flesh, too. And, Father, we praise you for it. We know that you're working all things together for our good, and you're not going to cease until we awake in thy likeness, as David said. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. 
Amen. Well, we discovered basically that um, coming up out of the heart of man is um, is a spring. It can be of bitter waters or it can be of sweet. And we discovered that the sweet waters are basically coming into agreement with the Word of God and uh, being a blessing to those around us, a healing of the nations, so to speak, you know. And um, that out of the thoughts and out of the heart is where this um, spring springs forth. And, of course, it goes forth out over our tongue and becomes words of life. And um, we saw that if you want to bring the tongue into submission, you first basically have to repent, change your mind, and agree with the Word of God. And uh, basically reprogram your computer, right? And I want to start with uh, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36. And I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Every idle word. Now, we discovered that the word idle here is um, argos, and it, and it means uh, barren or unfruitful. Matter of fact, it's used in uh, James chapter 2, where faith apart from works is barren or unfruitful. And so... What is the work of one who believes? Well, the most important work of one who believes is what they say. And, um, you know, James also said in that chapter, he said, I will show you my faith by my works. I, by my works, will show you my faith. See, there are people who, who say they have faith, they say they believe, but their works don't agree with that. And that is not impressive to God. It doesn't work. It doesn't save. It doesn't deliver. Okay. But he says here that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Have you ever come into a day of judgment? He's not saying that that people are not judged until the end time day of judgment. We all come into days of judgment. And when you speak idle words, that's what brings judgment upon you in the first place. That's what we're going to see. And um, we give account in a day of judgment because of those idle words, or unfruitful words, words that don't bear the fruit of Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? And um, verse 37 says, For by thy words thou shalt be justified, by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Justified uh, means counted righteous. Well, this should make us fear the Lord, because God is saying that what we say is very, very important, and that we should count it so, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, he says. And what we say is a uh, mirror image of what's down inside. And uh, in some cases, if we pay attention to what we say, and we read the Scriptures, and we see that sometimes we're very contrary to what God says in the Scriptures, we should understand that that contrariness is coming up out of our heart, you know, and that we need to repent, still need to repent. Watching your tongue is watching your heart, because that's where it's really coming from, you know. The Bible says in Romans 3 and 4, Let God be true, but every man a liar, 
that thou mightest be justified in thy words and might prevail when you come into judgment. Now, you see, it's words that bring us into judgment, but it's righteous words, words that are in agreement with God, let God be true and every man a liar, that cause us to prevail when we come into judgment. And so these things should make us fear the Lord and depart from evil and train our lips, which is what I want to talk to you about. You know, Proverbs 18 and 21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, that can mean your death and life, and it can be the death and life of people around you, as we saw last study. And so, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. And you say, well, which one is he talking about? Death and life? They that love it shall eat the fruit thereof? Well, he's he's talking about both of them. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. You know, we're all going to prove whether we like death or whether we like life. We're going to eat the fruit of the one that we love. If you love life, you will obviously pay very close attention to what you say, and you will um, begin to train your tongue to come into agreement with the Word of God. Our minds are like computers that need to be programmed so that uh, what we see on the monitor reflects something that's beneficial and a blessing, you know. You know, a computer by itself is pretty worthless without a monitor, right? And uh, basically what God is saying here is the monitor is the tongue. I mean, it reflects what's inside your programming, right? And uh, if you say you're a believer, and yet everything you say is contrary to what God says, then that's a lie, right? I mean, um, so we need to reprogram this computer so that what comes out of our mouth is the word of the Lord and uh, is effectual in uh, changing the world around us, changing ourselves, because the Bible says basically, too, that the, that the tongue is like a rudder turning the whole ship. The tongue is able to tame the whole body. It's a very powerful tool that God has given us. But first, again, we have to reprogram the computer. In uh, Romans chapter 12, We're told, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable service. Obviously, folks, we came here to die just like our Lord Jesus did. Our death is not necessarily physical. It is spiritual, though. It is the death of the old man. It's the death of the old tongue, too, because... That uh, old tongue is a very destructive and a powerful uh, force that burns down great forests, according to James, right? Uh, Verse 2 says, Be not fashioned according to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's We've got to reprogram our computers. If you're not spending any time in the Word of God to uh, put that down in your heart, first of all, you've got to put it in there enough until it starts overcoming what's in there, you know. And uh, some people, you know, touch the Word of God once a week, twice a week, you know. Uh, they don't really uh, put it in there enough to 
empower them to overcome and, and to bring it back to their remembrance, you see. And so we're told here, uh, be not fashioned according to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Wouldn't you like to prove what the perfect will of God in your life is? Well, it's not going to happen without the renewing of your mind. You'll never walk in perfection without the renewing of your mind, right? Well, James had something to say about that, too. You know, he um, said it's not just the mind. As we've been seeing all along, it's what comes out of the mind. It's the monitor, not just the computer, right? And uh, so James said in chapter 3 and verse 2, For in many things we all stumble. If any stumbleth not in word, the same is a perfect man. Now, we just saw Romans chapter 12 telling us that if we transform our mind, we will prove what the perfect will of God is. He's talking about, of course, in your life, right? The perfect will of God, walking in the perfect will of God. Because you reprogram your computer. But now James is telling us, now, wait a minute, there's something that, you know, faith without works is dead, you know, and it's not just what's in the computer, it's what comes out the monitor, right? For in many things we all stumble, if any stumbleth not in word, the same is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body also. Wow, now, many people are worried about how they're going to bridle this body, how they're going to bring it under the control of the Lord, and they're worried about that. Well, if you're worried about it, you really haven't got the gospel down in your heart. Because the Lord's already taken care of that for you. Not a problem. You just need to exercise faith in what he's already done, right? But he tells you here that the words that you speak are able to bridle the whole body. And I love this text here. Verse 3 says, Now if we put horses' bridles into their mouths that they may obey us, we turn about their whole body also. Any of you have ever ridden horses? It's amazing how, what that bit will do. To make that horse just turn, this, this great big horse, little bitty man, you know, just turn that horse and no problem. Well, God is saying the tongue will do the same thing with your life. Uh, behold, the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by rough winds and are yet turned about by a very small rudder, whether the impulse of the steersman willeth, so the tongue also is a little member. And boasteth of great things, where the impulse of the steersman willeth. You know, uh, he whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Do you know how the Lord sets us free? He gives us his will. You know, nothing can restrain God's will. He does what he wants to do in the armies of heaven and upon the earth, Daniel said. He does what he wants to do. Now, the problem with us is... We have uh, a schizophrenic will. We, we, uh, we have will to do things that are contrary to God's will. But he works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure as we walk by faith in him. So he gives us his will. And uh, now this working up out of our heart from our computer and us as the steersman, you know, with his will in us, we're the steersman and he's the steersman through us. We are able to turn this body with this tongue. We're able to 
educate this tongue. We're able to restrain this tongue. We uh, sometimes have to back up and say, nope, I don't like what I said there. I don't accept that, Lord. Forgive me. I'm going to say it again. This is, this is according to your word. I'm going to agree with your word. That God be true in every man a liar, that thou might be justified in thy words, accounted righteous in thy words, and might prevail when you come into judgment. Now, folks, we're about to come into judgment. I know some of you don't believe that. Some of you are in it right now, and you don't know it. But we're about to enter into judgment. And God's saying the most important tool you have is a renewed mind speaking out of your mouth the word of God. That's the powerful thing that you've got. Notice what Jesus did and his disciples who turned the world upside down with what they said, the things that they commanded, and the things that they said in agreement with the word of God. It brought repentance. It brought deliverance. We have to change our mind. We have to be careful what we put in our computer, like Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 says. Let's read that. Philippians 4 and 8. Philippians 4 is an awesome, awesome chapter. About being at peace, right? Being anxious for nothing. Just let your prayers and requests be known unto God with thanksgivings, right? Be anxious for nothing. Well, he he tells us something about uh, being at peace by what we put into our mind, what we program our computer with, right? And in verse 8, he says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Well, I was uh, thinking about what Brother Bill was saying the other day. Brother Bill's over here sitting on the as a moderator here on the computer, and um, he was saying actually everything goes into your mind is it's still there. It's, the recall is the problem, but it's all still there. And you know what, folks? We don't want to be polluted by the things of the world, do we? We want to put things in our mind that will cause us to think and speak properly in agreement with the Word of God. We don't want a leaven that leavens the whole lump, do we? We don't want to fill our mind up with the TV and the things of the world and the love of the world. We want to fill up our mind with the Word of God and fulfilling His will and walking as a disciple, right? This is what we want. Well, He tells you to think on the good things. You know, the gospel is the good news. He also says that's the power of God unto salvation. The good news, right? Not the bad news. Not the conspiracies. Not the uh, studying the false doctrines, you know. Paul in, in uh, Romans 16 and, and 19, he tells us, I would that you be wise unto that which is good and simple unto that which is evil. In other words, don't keep studying the evil. In the world, start studying the good, because when you sow this into your heart, it brings forth Jesus Christ. That's why it tells you, think on these things. These have the power to bring forth Christ in you. Now, Christ in you can take care of that evil. It won't be a problem for him. It won't even tempt him. Did you know that? Christ in you cannot be tempted with evil. Okay? It's the other part that belongs to you that can be tempted of evil. The part that has to die can be tempted of evil, right? So he, he tells us now, you think on these things. What's in, things are good, that are lovely, and of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Think on these things, you know. Think on the good things. 
And he also says in verse 9, The things which you both learned and received and heard and saw in me, these things do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Wow, so we, we have been given some awesome examples here. Not only the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, many others here who have gone on before us, who were filled with the Word of God and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God, were our examples. And um, it's a death experience to self, but it's a resurrection experience of Jesus Christ living in us. And he wants to use our tongue to do the same thing that the tongue of his first body did, which brought deliverance and blessing to the world, right? It turned everything around, not just that body, but everything around. And in order to do that, we have to fight this warfare that we're called to fight. In um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he tells us that this warfare is not of the flesh, you know. Um, verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but mighty before God to the casting down of strongholds. One of those weapons, the most important weapon, is the tongue. When you agree with the Word of God, you are accounted righteous. When you speak in agreement with the Word, you're accounted righteous. Then you're entitled to the benefits of the kingdom. One of the benefits of the kingdom is the reconciliation, which is the exchange between you and that cross, how that now God has taken away your sins, your sinful life, your sinful tongue, everything, and nailed on that cross. And he's taken the righteousness of Jesus Christ and given it unto you. Now, he's given this to you as a benefit, but in order to receive this benefit, you have to be accounted righteous. And um, that's why you speak what the Bible says about you. For instance, you were crucified with Christ. It's no longer you that live. It's Christ that lives in you. Right? Can you confess that? You say, that might make people think I'm proud. They will, no, it don't make any difference. This is what the Apostle Paul taught us to say and to believe and to think. That we don't live anymore. Christ lives in us. That's the gospel. That's the good news that is the power of God unto salvation. But if it doesn't come out of your mouth, it's not going to work. See? You have to agree with it. And if everything you say is contrary to that, you may call yourself a believer, but there's no fruit of it. See, those are idle words. Okay. So, um, he tells us, casting down imaginations, and the word sometimes translated reasonings, it's the word logismos, from where we get the word logos, you know. And um, casting these down, these imaginations, and everything that's exalted against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And the more we're able to do this, the more we're going to speak good things. And the more we speak the good things, the more our heart is going to change. Because remember, the tongue has the power to turn the whole body. If you agree with the gospel, you're entitled to the benefits. If you're entitled to the benefits, Christ's life is your life, you see. And being in readiness to avenge all disobedience when your obedience is made full. So be careful about that, too. Just don't worry about that. Leave that until Christ is manifest and he'll do it. He'll take care of it, right? You know, he can judge, but we can't, right? So we need to rest and trust in him. We need to renew our mind 
so that our mouth will say good things. But at the same time, we need to study the word and begin to say these things because your tongue is the pen of a ready writer, Scripture says. And you can write the word of God upon your heart. You can speak these things so that they get down in your heart, so that they come up out of you naturally and uh, affect things about you, affect your own life. Turn your own vessel, you see, like a rudder turns a ship. A little tiny rudder turns that great big ship, you know. Well, uh, Proverbs chapter 4 is a good um, revelation concerning this. In verse 20, My son, attend unto my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Obviously, we're going to have to pull away from the world in order to do this, right? These things have to be important to us. The Word of God has to be important to us. If the world is more important, let me tell you, God knows it. And it will be proven by what you say, too. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Hey, that's a pretty steady devotion to the Word of God, right? Keep them in the midst of thy heart. You know, think on them, meditate on them, wake up in the morning. That's when you know you love the Lord. When you wake up in the morning, first thing you think about is God. You know, not what am I going to do today? You know, what am I, you know, the things of the world, you know. Keep them in the midst of thy heart, for they are life unto those that find them. You want life? Well, devote yourself to the Word of God. You know, uh, cast aside everything else that's distracting. Devote yourself to the Word of God. They are life to those that find them, and health to their flesh. You know, the Bible says he sent his word and healed them. The word of God is health. The word of God will deliver you from the curse of this world. It is health. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. There it is again. How is it that out of your heart issues your own life? How is that, you know? He said, keep your heart with all diligence. In other words, be careful what you put in. Because what you're sowing in there is going to come forth out of there. He said, out of it are the issues of life. And here's how. Put away from thee a wayward mouth. Put away from thee a wayward mouth. A, A mouth that's out of the way. Not in the way. You know, in the book of Acts, they called it the way. What was they talking about? The way of Christ, right? We were to follow him in no way. You want to know the way? Well, follow me. That's what Jesus said, right? Okay, I am the way. Put away from thee a wayward mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee. Perverse lips. Let thine eyes look right on. Let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Make level the path of thy feet. Wow, notice he, again, here we come back to the same thing. He says, you know, be careful what you put in your heart. Put aside the wayward mouth. Make straight paths for your feet. Again, the tongue has the power to turn about the whole body also. You confess what the Word of God says. God says you're righteous. I'm going to give that boy what he needs. That's just exactly how it works. It's very simple. Make level the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. My son, attend unto my wisdom. Incline thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest preserve discretion. 
and that thy lips may keep knowledge. We have to be careful that we're going to agree with God. A high priest of our confession is Jesus Christ. He offers our confession before the Father. Right? So we're going to talk more about that later. But it's very important that you are confessed before the Father. And the confession, the word confession, homo legeo, means to speak the same as. You're going to speak the same as Jesus? He's going to speak that to the Father, you see. And the Father will deliver unto you the benefits that are needed, right? For the lips of a strange woman, drop honey. Now, who's he talking about here? He's talking about the harlot. And some of you know about the harlot. Some of you have come out of harlot churches. Well, he says, the lips of the strange woman, drop honey. Then, you know, they're, they're sweet to the flesh, right? But not to the spirit. You know, when we find God's words, they're sweet in our mouth, but they're bitter in our belly. You know what that means? The flesh don't like it. The flesh doesn't like God's word. Don't let God speak unto us, the Israelites said, you know, when they were at the foot of the mountain. If he speaks to us, we'll die. That's exactly so, folks. If you receive his word into you, that old life will die. And that old harlot will die in you too here. So he says, um, the lips of a strange woman drop honey, but her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Yes, apostate religion, folks, doesn't lead you anywhere but to death. It's a deception, a strong delusion. We want to come out from among her and uh, come into agreement with the Word of God where God says you are righteous. Be justified in our words. Be prepared to go into judgment because we're ready to conquer and not be conquered, right? And um, we need to keep the, the lips of life, you know, the words of life, right? I like Psalm 4141 too. He says, now we can go to God. You say, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips and I'm in, dwelling in the midst of unclean lips, <laughs> like the prophet said, you know. Oh, Lord, help me. Well, that's good, because he will help you. You know, you, you come to, if this is important to you, and uh, you want to live holy, he's listening. Okay? And um, here's what David said. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. So, Lord, don't let unclean things come out of my mouth. You pray that. You believe that. You trust in God, because it's all by grace. It's not by your works, Right? Oh, I've got to be holy. I've got to train. We just saw the other day that according to James chapter 2, the tongue can no man tame. It's the Lord that tames the tongue. Okay. First, you've got to repent, you see. First, you've got to know that you need to agree with him, you see. And, and in agreeing with him, you can walk together with him. How can two walk together except they be agreed, you see. The Lord is going to be with you in this. Just agree with him. It's your faith. It's not your works, right? So he says, set a word. He prays to the Lord. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the doors of my lips. Oh, that's a good prayer. See, this is a man that understands it's by grace. i got to trust in God. He's the only one that can bring us to pass. He can tame this tongue. You know, and I'm trusting him. I'm believing him, right? Incline not my heart to any evil thing. To practice deeds of wickedness with men that work iniquity. And let me not eat of their dainties. 
Incline not my heart. He wanted a heart that was in agreement with the word of God, with the Lord, so that what he said would also be with the Lord, you know, and doing his work. You know, um, your heart teaches your mouth, and your mouth gives grace to your heart, you see. We're commanded to teach our mouth. You know, like in uh, Proverbs 16, in verse 20, He that giveth heed unto the word shall find good. And whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. The wise in heart shall be called prudent, and the sweetness of the lips increaseth learning. See, you remember we saw in Exodus 15 how that when Moses and the children of Israel were going into the wilderness, they went to Marah. There was no water where they were, and they went to Marah, which means bitterness, and they couldn't drink the water. It was death to them. It was killing them. Hey, think about it, folks. The thing that's killing God's people, Matthew 15 speaks of this, what defiles the man. It's what comes out of his mouth. James chapter 2 talks about the spring that comes up out of man is both blessing and cursing. These things ought not to be. He said, out of the same spring shouldn't come forth sweet water and bitter, you know. So the sweetness of the lips, it represents the word, the, the, the words that are transformed by a renewed mind, the words that are in obedience to the word of God, right? The sweetness of the lips increaseth learning. You see that? If you, if you speak the word of God, it will increase learning. Understanding is a wellspring, there it is, of life unto him that hath it. How's that? Because it comes right up out of your innermost being and flows right over your tongue. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And then he said, he that believeth on me as the scripture hath said, out of his innermost being or out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit, that they that believed on him were to receive. How is it that the Spirit gives us these living waters? Well, Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. They go into you. The Holy Spirit brings to remembrance all things that he said unto you and brings them up out of you. Many of you felt that anointing to speak to people. And it's, it's really sweet, isn't it? When you're able to speak to people and give them a good word, something that they need, you know. And it comes flowing out of you and it touches their heart. And you're so overjoyed with that, you know. That's that wellspring of life coming up out of you. And God's got a lot more of that for us. So, Understanding is a wellspring of life unto him that hath it. But the correction of fools is their folly. The heart of the wise, here it is, instructeth his mouth. We need to instruct our mouth. We need to make sure that we agree before God. It's very important that we come into agreement with God. And um, the heart of the wise instructeth his mouth and addeth learning to his lips. This is very important. We need to train our mouth. We can get our friends to help. We can get our mate to help. We can get our children to help. You know, help one another to say things that are in agreement with the Word of God. Do you know that in Numbers chapter 30, I'm not going to go there right now because it would take too long, but in Numbers chapter 30, the Lord said that 
someone who was in authority, like a, uh, in a family. Uh, and it doesn't just stop there, but in that particular text, that's what he's talking about. Somebody, the person who's in authority in a family can um, disallow rash utterances spoken out of um, someone. Disallow them. So, no, we don't agree with that. We're not going to accept that, you know. Don't be offended if someone does this with you. No, we're not going to accept that. We don't want to. We don't want to believe for that. We don't want to speak that. Let's don't speak that. You know. So, I mean, you make mistakes sometimes. You may have to back up and say, "Lord, forgive me. I don't want to talk that way. I want to agree with Your Word. I want to speak the blessing. I want to speak speak the blessing and not the cursing, because I'm capable of doing that too. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. So let's agree with God's Word. It's supernatural." And when you speak the word of God, you're not speaking the things that are all the time. Sometimes you're speaking the things that are not. You're calling the things that be not as though they were. You may be speaking something that you can't see with your eyes, but your tongue has the power to bring it to pass because God hears your tongue and he hears that you're agreeing with him and he imparts grace because you do that. See, the heart of the wise instructed his mouth and added learning to his lips. Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and health to the bones. Health. You know, your your life proceeds from your bones, doesn't it? Right? Your bone marrow, your blood is made there, you see, and your life proceeds forth out of your bones. So he says, health to your bones. Praise God. Agreeing with the Word of God, speaking the Word of God. Agree that you are blessed, that you are healed, that you are delivered from the curse of this world. Agree with it. Agree with it so God can bring it to pass. Because your faith goes up to God through your high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. When you speak it, he offers this before the Father. It's your sacrifice. Yes, you are sacrificing the old life to say these things. Because they're contrary to your old life and contrary to your human nature. But the Lord Jesus is going to offer these before the Father. And... uh, you're going to receive grace for it. So I like chapter 15 in verse um, 28 too. It says, The heart of the righteous studieth to answer. Study to answer. Study the word to know how to answer people and how to agree. You know, um, people wonder, how can I answer people when I believe in God that I'm healed and yet they can see that I'm not? Well, Jesus said, don't forget what Jesus said, If you confess me before men... I will confess you before the Father. Confess means speak the same as. Now, what does this word say? It says, by his stripes you were healed. Are you going to confess that? Are you going to confess that, no, I'm trusting God, and I believe his word, and I'm not walking by sight, and I accept his healing? Are you going to confess that before men? I tell you, when people do that, they see miracles. They see power. And if you do the same thing about your soul, if you reckon yourself to be dead unto sin but alive unto God, and you begin to speak it out of your mouth, God will give you grace. It's not because you're trusting in your powers, it's because you're trusting in His, and you're coming into agreement with Him, and you're walking together with Him. See? And so he says, The heart of the righteous studieth to answer, but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. And I might say there's a lot of Christians that are wicked. You can tell by what they say. It's contrary to God's word. They do not agree with God. They're calling God a liar every time they open their mouth. God is our Savior. He's already taken care of these things. He's delivered us. He's healed us. He's blessed us. 
He's our Savior in all things. And uh, he'll protect us under the shadow of his wings, right? The heart of the righteous studieth to answer. Who are the righteous? You know that the word righteous here in the Hebrew, the equivalent in the New Testament, is the same word also for justification. Justified, right? Let God be true and every man a liar, that thou might be justified or uh, imputed righteous. You see? So, the person here who is righteous is the person who is determined to agree with God. Let God be true and every man a liar, that thou might be justified. That's what we need, folks. We need the justification of the Lord. A person who is, in, is um, walking in the light as he is in the light, when they understand something from God, they want to agree with it. They want to speak it. And God wants to hear it too. Now, he doesn't, he doesn't hold things against you, even though some things you're saying right now may be bringing you under a curse. I have to tell you that you, um, as you add understanding to your soul and you learning to your lips and you begin to speak those things, you're going to come out from under that, you see. That's God's plan. So let God be true and every man a liar. And we need to learn to be, in many instances, until we uh, speak the Word of God, we need to be learn to be quiet. I mean, we're too impulsive. Uh, people who are ruled by their emotions is an impulsive people. And uh, things will come up out of you, and you'll wish you hadn't said them. But they're gone, you see. And that's when you have to repent. But we need to learn to be quiet. You know, we need to shut up a lot of times. And uh, we need to practice that, you know. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, it's been spoken. It says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. Now, of course, we know that we are the house of God, and everywhere we go, uh, we need to keep our foot, right? But in particular, too, when you come in, uh, in the midst of the brethren, you know, be, be sure that you're agreeing with the word here. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, for to draw near to hear is better than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they know not that they do evil. What do you suppose he's talking about the sacrifice of fools? Well, he said it's better to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. And, of course, he's talking about just speaking rashly out of your mouth, things that you don't know about. Even even uh, Job, who was a perfect and upright man in the eyes of the Lord because he was justified by faith, no doubt. But, but um, even Job spoke things that he didn't know about. He repented in dust and ashes for the self-righteousness that was coming out of his mouth. Wouldn't it be better if we would learn to be quiet and just kind of speak when spoken to? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> By the Lord, obviously. But he says in the next verse, Be not rash with thy mouth. Let not thy heart be hasty to utter anything before God. I tell you, God is an awesome ruler. I mean, he doesn't get the respect from us that he should. And, uh, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. But he says, Be not rash with thy mouth. Let not thy heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon the earth. Therefore let thy words be few. 
let thy words be few. Wow. That's why I like to speak the Word of God a lot. And uh, when I teach, I like to teach the Word of God a lot because I can't really improve on what the Lord's already done here. And uh, anybody that tries <laughs> is probably um, uh, getting into some bad areas, okay? But let thy words be few. Since God's on the throne, He's sovereign, and a man can receive nothing except to come from Him, and He works all things after the counsel of His own will, we need to be careful what we say in front of Him. Yeah, We need to uh, honor Him, and we need to humble ourselves, and just keep the old flesh silent. You know, you let the flesh talk, pretty soon He thinks He has a right to, right? <laughs> and He doesn't have a right to. Dead men don't talk. Your flesh don't have any rights in this world anymore. He said, reckon yourself to be dead unto sin. You know, I've, I remember what a brother told me years ago. He said, you take the old man, you slap him on the face, he just turns the other cheek, right? You don't do a thing, you know. And with your tongue, it ought to be the same way. Dead men don't talk, right? And so tell him to shut up, you know, and uh, let, the, let the word of the Lord go forth out of you from your spirit man, right? So, let your words be few, he says. He said, by thy words thou shalt be justified. By thy words thou shalt be condemned. Now, of course, people sometimes think, well, that's just talking about speaking ugly or, or, or speaking curses or whatever. Well, you know, anytime you disagree with the word of God, it's a curse. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you are against me. You understand, you're either in agreement with him or you're not you see, there's no gray area there, you see. So I'm not saying we have to necessarily always quote the Word of God, but we have to be in agreement with it. We should be training our tongue to come into agreement with it. This is pleasing to our Father, you see. And it makes us dynamite to everything around us. Power is coming forth out of us anytime we're in agreement with the Word of God. Power is, uh, is uh, healing the sick and delivering and uh, turning our heart and all these things that are necessary to be done, right? But our words should be few. And uh, uh, Proverbs 17, verse 27 says, He that spareth his words hath knowledge, and he that is of a cool spirit is a man of understanding. So if you learn to be quiet, you know, you, first of all, you can't hear anything while you're talking. You know, you want to listen to the Holy Spirit. He knows what's going on around you. He knows what's there before you get there. You know, you need to listen to Him, right? So He says, even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted as wise. When he shutteth his lips, he is esteemed as prudent. Well, hey, that gives hope for all of us, doesn't it? If we just be quiet when we don't need to be talking. God at least imputes some righteousness to us there for that, you know. And uh, Proverbs chapter 10, uh, verse 19. It said, In the multitude of words there wanteth not transgression. In other words, if you're a big talker and you talk all the time, you're doing a lot of sinning. There's a high likelihood you're doing a lot of sinning. Okay. With the multitude of words there wanteth not for transgression. No lack of transgression. You see a person that talks all the time just because they enjoy hearing themselves talk? And um, just be careful. But he that refraineth his lips doeth wisely. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. 
Notice it's choice silver. Uh, the righteous choose what they're going to say. And their words are valuable like silver, you see. The heart of the wicked is of little worth, and the lips of the righteous feed many. But the foolish die for lack of understanding. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many. Spiritually, physically, our words are powerful. We're going in the wilderness to come, folks. We're going to see how words, spoken words, are going to deliver everything that's needed and necessary for life. We're going to see this. God's going to show it. The righteous are once again going to live by faith in the days to come, because God has designed it that way. In in Proverbs 29 and verse 20, it says, Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words? There is more hope of a fool than of him. You know, uh, why is a person hasty? You know, why is it that they uh, they speak before they think? Most often it's because they're ruled by their emotions, right? They're not ruled by the Spirit. People that are ruled by the Spirit, they're, they're listening a lot. They want to know what God has to say and what He wants to say through them. And they want to know what the Word of God has to say. They want to speak from the renewed mind. But... A person who's hasty in his words, there is more hope of a fool than of him. And um, uh, chapter 21 and verse um, 23 says, Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. We need to, we can ask the Lord, put a watch before our lips, but at the same time, we need to restrain words and thoughts that are of the world. When you get in among the worldly people, if you're apt to join them in their speaking in the worldly ways, um, the best thing for you to do is repent and uh, separate yourself from them until you've, you've broken that habit and begin to get in the Word of God and begin to speak these things. Train your lips, as we've seen. You know, Give knowledge to your lips. And uh, whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from trouble. Where does the trouble come from? Out of your mouth. Out of your mouth. You agree with the curse, you get the curse. You agree with the blessing, you get the blessing. You agree with the curse, you give the curse to everybody around you. If you agree with the blessing, you can give the blessing to everyone around you. And uh, we need to be, as James uh, says, quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath, right? James chapter 1 and 19. You know this, my beloved brethren, but let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You know, if we will slow down and give up impulsiveness, uh, we have time for the Holy Spirit to speak to us. You know, uh, Our conscience will guide us if we will just be slow to speak. The impulsiveness, again, it doesn't come from the Holy Spirit, a Spirit-led life. It comes from a a fleshly-led life. It comes from the impulsiveness of emotions, right? And the Lord wants to wean us away from being ruled by our emotions. Do you know that sometimes God has to do things to stop us from speaking because He has an agenda that He wants to do? And we're supposed to be his vessels through whom he speaks this agenda. And if we speak contrary to it, we can hinder it. 
I think that's one reason Jesus put people out of the room that spoke unbelief. He just put them out of the room when he wanted to do a miracle. He didn't want them speaking against it. He didn't want to give any uh, accreditation to their foolish talk with this miracle, right? Well, you remember the story in Luke chapter 1, how that that uh, um, Zacharias, the priest, who was um, promised a child, uh, a miraculous child, John the Baptist, right? And uh, the problem was, he spoke against it. And in verse 18, Zacharias said unto the angel, who brought this glad tidings unto him, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well stricken in years. And the angel answering and said unto him, I'm Gabriel, that stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak unto thee, and to bring these things, these good tidings. In other words, don't you have any respect, man? <laughs> I mean, what are we? What are these words that we're receiving out of these pages, friends? This is the word of God Almighty. We should have some respect, you know. And and Zacharias wasn't having any respect. Here's an angel talking to him. He said, "How am I? How do I? How do I know this is going to happen? I mean, it doesn't look like it could happen. Look at me. Look at my wife, right? He says, look, I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to tell you this. Verse twenty. Behold, thou shalt be silent and not be able to speak until the day that these things come to pass, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. So the Lord had to shut him up. He was speaking a curse. He was going to hinder it. See, God see God stands behind his word. When he says that what you say makes a difference, he means it. Not because you're so great, but because he's given us the authority on this earth. To do these things, you see. See, the Lord has delegated this authority, and he's not taking it back. Did you know that Jesus came to do these mighty works? But people think, wow, yeah, he was the Son of God. But listen to what John 5 says. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is Son of Man, not Son of God. Why? Because God gave authority on the earth to man who art man that thou art mindful of him, and the Son of Man. See? You have set him over the works of thy hands. See? See, God has given authority in this earth to man. That's why he wants to move through man, like he did through Jesus, the Son of Man, right? Well, Jesus had authority to execute judgment because he was a Son of Man. Now, here's Zacharias, who was given authority to execute judgment, blessing, whatever that came out of his mouth. But he didn't believe, so what was coming out of his mouth was negative. He was hindering God. You say, how could man hinder God? Because God has given authority, and he won't take it back. And sometimes he has to move people out of the way in order to do what he wants to do, because they're just a hindrance. See, And you wonder why, well, sometimes, how, why doesn't the Lord use me? Well, sometimes it's because he can't. He, how can two walk together except they be agreed, right? He can't. So, we want God to be able to speak through us these blessings, these miracles, these signs and wonders. Jesus, Everything Jesus spoke, he spoke it before it came to pass. And we do too. We have to speak it. We have to call things that be not as though they were. We speak them before they happen. See, and so Jesus wants to be able to do that through us. We can't speak against what it, what His will is. You see, 
And uh, if we do, sometimes the Lord has to move us out of the way and use someone else. Sometimes moving out of the way isn't pleasant. It wasn't for Zechariah. He lost his tongue for a while, right? Sometimes it's not pleasant. God bless you, saints. I hope you're um, getting some understanding from this, and I hope you'll train your tongue in the ways of the Lord. God bless you. We'll do this again. I think we'll go on with a little series here with the tongue, okay? Keep me in prayer. I appreciate it. Good night. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to www.americaslastdays.com. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels, Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama 36123. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, Shining rays of red and white Jesus, I trust in you Sacred heart in you I find Mercy seated for all time I am yours and you are mine Oh Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea